0: So hello and welcome to All Four Quarter, your one-stop shop for news, reviews and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at the Jamal Charles injury and what it means for Kansas City, looking at how horrible a person Greg Hardy is, and also questioning, are the Lions the worst team in the NFL at the moment? Then we're going to have a look at some of the games from last week, some good and some bad. We're going to move on to some questions from our listeners, and then we're going to look forward to the games in week six. Okay, so guys, uh, nice to have you all here again. Uh, this week, we have a new person on the podcast. Calling in from all the way down in Cork is uh, Ronan Fitzpatrick, our resident Seahawks fan and that guy who kept sending us really stupid questions. Uh, so hi, Ronan, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, uh, it's great to be here.
0: Yeah, We decided that your questions were so bad that you were almost as bad as we were, so we'd have to bring you on as a guest. Uh, and also, we've got Harry with us this week as well, our resident Pats fan. I'm always here. I have nowhere to go that's true it's true uh we don't have dave this week because he's gone back to waterford for god knows what reason waterford they have
1: wi-fi in waterford
0: yes they do have wi-fi in waterford and uh unfortunately as well ian who's been on the podcast previously has been swallowed up whole by london and uh, we have no idea where he is so ian if you're out there please tell us you're okay your mother misses you Ian. <laughs> desperately <laughs> desperately misses you all right, guys, we will kick off with the news. Unfortunately, this is going to be a sad time for me. Jamal Charles, injured in the, in the horrific Kansas City loss to the Bears. Very sad for myself, kind of, kind of horrible. What are your takes on this, guys? What's the impact of this injury going to be for the Chiefs for the year?
2: First off, uh, I think it's going to make that London game you go to uh, is going to have a few less redeeming qualities. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it, 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 it's bad. And I think we saw the effect of it in the game once Charles went off Kansas City's offense kind of just shut down. So much of it goes through him, and he's got so many ways he can hurt you, and there's so many aspects he brings to that offense. Losing a player that good is is a bit of a problem, and um, not having somebody with that level of skill is the first problem. But saying that so much of your game plan revolves around his capacities causes problems beyond just the loss of a good player. Uh, It means there's going to be a lot more leaning on Alex Smith, and I think you know the problems are going to see them more Smiths. Deficiencies perhaps exposed yeah. when he has somebody who isn't so good on those dump offs, isn't so isn't so good. Um, it doesn't give him that safety valve, doesn't give him those options. There are there is some talent in the backfield. We have seen them lose Charles fourth periods, and people like Niall Davis have stepped up. Although Niall Davis hasn't really been, he's been invisible really this season. Yeah, and Chalkander West is a bit of a bit of an unknown quantity at this stage. Shown some flashes in the preseason certainly, but we don't know how good he's going to be uh, in, a, in actual game time when the ball gets rolling. He didn't particularly impress in the uh, in the latter parts of the game against the Bears. You're gonna to have to change a lot and you're relying on a quarterback who can't really do it all. I think this could be fatal for Kansas City season. Yeah. I think any residual hopes of getting to the playoffs could be
0: could be, could be done. Yeah. No, of course. What what, what about yourself, Rodin?
1: What I would say is that there's kind of like an interaction effect with the earlier loss of Brandon Albert. Like you could probably get away with Niall Davis or Chikandrick West if the O line was actually up to snuff at the moment, but mm. When you lost Albert at left tackle, you've seen a dramatic drop-off in quality from the O-line play right there. And Jamal Charles, obviously because he's a transcendental talent, was able to cover up some of them holes. Because, you know, he can take the dump off, he can show, like when the play breaks down, he can still make something happen. So unless this Chikandrick West kid can do that kind of special play, which is unlikely... Then you're kind of looking at something which piles on to the kind of like the worsening Kansas City offense that we've kind of seen this season. Like it hasn't really got going in any real way, and it's one out effectively. It's one way of making up for that fact is now gone. So I think we're probably looking at a a, an even more dour Kansas City offense, hardly known for its explosiveness in the first place. (laughs) You only have two options left, and. Both of them are, like, better in the big play kind of perspective. Yeah. Like, where you want to have time to develop the play. Having the respect uh, of Jamal Charles there, you're kind of looking at a situation where the Kansas City offense is going to get pretty, pretty muck. Like, the defense will probably... Like, the problem is, actually, is that the defense will probably carry them to a few victories, and then that will bring you out of, like, uh, the top of the draft at this point, which might be a consideration.
0: Yeah, no, Ronald, I have to to kind of agree with you on that. Like, it's devastating for the team, like, essentially Charles is more than 50% of our offensive production, which is, which is a huge hit. Now the one, the one slight silver line, I suppose is Andy Reid is completely unable to use Jamal Charles. So, you know, it can't really affect the game plan that much. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've got we've got two backups there. We've got Niles Davis, who is not quite as finesse a runner as, as Charles, a bit more of a kind of like try and just take off tackle stuff. Like if he gets open field, he can go the distance, but he doesn't get open in the same way as Charles does. And he's also not as much for catching passes out of the backfield. Charkhandrick West, I think, looks fantastic. But the problem is, like I said, he's an unproven commodity. He's only in his second year. He hasn't really shown the ability to do it all yet. There's the upside there. He could He could pull it off. We saw some fantastic stuff out of him in the preseason and uh, I don't read too much into him not doing much at the back end of the bears game because it was very much an in-game adjustment. He wasn't ready to be taking the whole load kind of thing. I'd, I'd, I'll be interested to see what happens when we get him into a rhythm. A lot of the talk around Kansas city before there was an injury to Charles was that West was the most likely to be stepping up as, as Charles was to come down. Yeah. Basically we're going to need a large change in the game plan. To be honest, I think we needed a change in the game plan in Kansas city anyway, because, uh, because the way it was, the way we were game planning just wasn't wasn't good, the way we were playing and we were very predictable. But I'd say as the only possible positive, this will force the hand of Reed to have to change his approach to the games. Even if it's just he's a pride man and doesn't want to change it, this gives him an out to change if he wants I don't think we're going to be that successful. I showed Harry my, my pessimistic and my optimistic, <laughs> uh, my optimistics for the for the rest of the season. My optimistic is a nine-win season yeah, right now. Not, not my pessimistic is like a four-win season right now. And yeah, I think you're right, Ronan, uh, that would take us out of the top end of the draft as well.
1: That, like that's the problem. You'll end up like seven and nine, and then you're like picking like 10th or 11th or something like that, and then... Yeah. You know, you've neither, neither the excitement of change nor, you know, any actual...
0: Uh, yeah, no, of course. Because
1: well, an adjustment period is probably going to be pretty tough, like...
0: Yeah. There's something we haven't talked about in this, and so I just think, it,
1: you
2: know, it, it's a relevant thing. I think it's something that might give Kansas a little bit of cause for hope when you're looking for that guy, who you can dump it off to and make things happen. And that's the Anthony Thomas. And I think it will be interesting to see how Kansas City now, without Charles, use the Anthony Thomas, Mm. particularly as a slot receiver or as as a scat back, because he is the kind of guy who can turn the corner, can make those big plays if you just get him a little bit of room when a play breaks down. And he does have very good hands as well. He does indeed, so I I think there's a potential there for him to be used more, and I don't think, it's obviously it's not going to compensate for it, Yeah, but it's something that will be interesting to see, because I think there's something they can make out of the situation, be like, okay, so we've got a guy who can do some of the stuff, how do we integrate that guy now into our offense a bit more, because we've seen one or two really really big plays for him this season and he does offer that and this gives him I think an opportunity to work his way into this offense a little bit if they start planning to use him
0: more. Yeah. Oh, fair enough guys, so yeah basically an Andy Reed wet because there were there were no more upsides to fail at. We're gonna go again Jesus, we've got depressing news this week boys. Our next topic is gonna be uh the human wasteland that is Greg Hardy and why in the love of Christ is he still knocking around. So just for context, for anyone who doesn't know what the story is, Greg Hardy, horrible human being, beat up a woman, threw her onto a bed full of guns, threatened to murder her and then paid her off so she wouldn't turn up to court. He has since been picked up by the Dallas Cowboys to try and provide a password for them. He was suspended for the first four games of the season and during that time filmed rap videos of himself talking about beating up women and playing around (laughs) with guns. (laughs) and then upon his reinstatement into the league made jokes and one-liners about coming out all guns blazing with a wink and a smile this man is literally the worst person ever what do you guys think
1: well is he self-aware or completely lacking in self-awareness i think that's the does he does he actually know how terrible he seems is he or is he literally just I'm like busy Kanye, going. I'm so awesome. I don't need to care. I don't want
0: anyone to. Craig Hardy, the Kanye of wife beating, <laughs> <laughs> prostitute <laughs> beating. I believe. I think we must cut that No, that's staying in. I demand to keep that in. You have to edit in allegedly in in spaces yeah. there. Allegedly. <laughs> We've 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 seen we've seen this kind of reaction to people who have these kind of well, we saw Bradshaw came out and said basically there shouldn't be a place for anyone in this league who raises a hand to a woman I think most people agree with that What's the difference here Is it just because unlike a lot of the other cases this is someone who is very productive and is a good player and people are happy to swallow morals for 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 the success Is this is this similar to a Ben Roethlisberger type scenario It's
1: Ray Rice. Ray Rice happened and this caught like the national attention and then people had to talk about it and then this stuff shows up and now people are like, it's kind of a continuing narrative within the NFL, like that this kind of behavior is, that people can still get away with it. And I think that's why I think this exploded uh, to such an extent. Well, well, that's what I would see it anyway. Like that, like the Ray Rice situation has made, has made a substantive difference to how people talk about the NFL, if not necessarily to what actually happens in personnel
2: Okay, I, I actually disagree with you. I like I see the Im- influence of the Ray Rice thing, but I think it is in a way similar to, to Raffelsberger insofar as it's a question of level of talent has kept his, him a place in the league. And to be fair, he looked decent against against the Patriots. I think he looked
0: very good there. Like right?
2: he did for the well, he looked good at the start of the game. And he sort of, sort of faded mm-hmm. off a bit, which I suppose to expect. If he'd been sort of out of practice for a while. The thing is with Ray Rice, it's like the reason Ray Rice isn't in the league. Obviously, it became like this huge, almost national thing, almost like a test case of what happens. But if Ray Rice had been averaging five yards a carry, it's almost certain that a team would have taken a gamble on him. Yeah, they he would have wasn't. taken a punt. Exactly, but he, but he wasn't. And that's not a good thing. Now, and I think when you talk about like who's the best or, or, or worst human being ever, I think Roethlisberger may still have the edge there. But Hardy, when you talk about self-awareness, it's like this is a guy who like calls himself the Kraken and lists his school as Hogwarts. I think the Kanye analogy actually has some wheels there. But the guy just doesn't... Mm. is off in his own little world. He's so blinded by his own uh, fame. But sort of, you, know, you just have the people around you. It's like, yeah, you're the you know you're the best man. You don't need to worry about this. This is all shit. The kind of guy who just throws money at his problems yeah. until they go away, as he did in this instance. No, of course. Because he knows he can fall back on the talent. Yeah. Because he knows I'm good enough at the defensive end that I don't need to worry about uh, the consequences of my actions mm. because there aren't going to be. And although was banned, he's back there. He's back. Mm. He's getting money. He's getting game time, and yeah, he'll play this out, and he'll probably get a big contract. And, and
0: I think, I think this is the element that we're saying of like when you look at the reactions that people have to these players who have off-field issues. We have people like Rothelsberger who had two rape convictions against him, and allegations, people, allegations, sorry, two rape allegations against him, uh, which disappeared after money changed hands allegedly. But the the, the the issue is that when you see these players and people do have this moral outrage to it and they say we can't accept this in the league. But by the time that they were winning the season following that happening and they were going to the Super Bowl no one was talking about it anymore. Everyone ignored it because of the talent. Similar with Ray Lewis. even he, he had a murder accusation against him and everyone just let it disappear because he was the best middle linebacker in the league at the time. And people were just like that's cool. Let's completely forget about that blood-drenched white suit you were wearing. Is this a scenario where we want to say as a league that oh these are moral in passive we will not allow someone to do this a la the Ray Rice scenario but to be honest if he was a more productive player he'd be back in the league like we see we see far harsher sentencing coming down on players who smoke a bit of pot and they're banned for a year. This chap, Kraken, did all these horrible things, continues to do all these horrible things, had a 10-game suspension reduced to four, and is now playing and being very highly paid for playing in the league, purely because he's a good football player. People will talk morals all they want and talk about what people should and shouldn't do, but if the person is productive, they'll swallow that moral code of theirs, and they'll just go, sure, yeah, he might be a horrible person, but damn, he's a good football yeah, no, like I think the one difference that might
1: might be happening is that the tolerance from it, from the fans, well, maybe not from the, the fans, but certainly like the wider cultural, like because the NFL is so large now, it's like wider cultural impact that there will be, like the, these controversies won't just get swept under the rug quite as much uh, in the media at least. So at least, uh, this, like hopefully he won't be like now, like Ben Roethlisberger gets, you know, Shining features in NFL.com, yeah. talking about how much he's grown up. At least we might be moving into a media environment where people who say, Oh, shut up, it's just about the game, you know, it's all in the past, might be itself something that hopefully will be in the past. Personnel decisions. You know, talent talks and you know morals walk. So mm-hmm. I think in this case, uh, we're probably not likely to see a massive uptick in moral values coming into NFL decisions, no matter how. Like the Seahawks selected like Frank Clark in the second round. He had like a questionable event, uh, an alleged an allegation involving domestic abuse with his significant other at the time. Even though the Seahawks had said in public that after the Ray Rice incident, that they would never, like that they wouldn't pick people like mm-hmm. that or they wouldn't tolerate having. People People, like on their team now they said they had their own like investigation and it all cleared out but i think like for a personnel decision people are looking for talent wherever they can get it but hopefully at least like fans and and the media this isn't the kind of thing which
2: will get swept under the rug yeah there is certainly an aspect of hope there that we are seeing more uh coverage and more critical coverage of that but and i think this is critical unless that actually starts filtering down to the teams it doesn't really matter because it's not just talk but when you you know to like James winston Taylor Luan, so to go, Ryle so Green Beckham. Like, people who have uh, sexual assault or physical assault allegations, or it's some case <laughs> substantiated uh, against them,
0: are still being <laughs> or, selected. Or, 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 car- or carrying six pounds of weed in yeah, your like, truck. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure okay with that one.
2: It's more the fact that you threw, threw a woman down a flight of stairs. Yeah. That's the that's, that's yeah. you. like, pound. Like, okay, you're an idiot. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. Don't get, don't get caught. Don't What's sell you? drugs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's certainly a... like. There's certainly an aspect to that, and, I, and while I do agree, I think that it has to come down to that that personnel level, and until you actually see that, and I think this is the problem is that while the wider media culture happens, the, the fans, it doesn't. All the Pittsburgh fans who were savaging Mike Vick, and we were making fun of, oh, you know, they don't care about Roethlisberger, but they really care about Vick, now they've won a game. They've all, they They've all gone quiet. They've all gone quiet because they're
0: winning now again.
2: Well, I agree with you. The broader culture is changing. We need to see that filter down to A, the fans, mm-hmm. and then B, the team before we can start saying something positive is happening here.
0: Yeah, listen, it's just 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 to just put a little bow in it, it's like we say, we can see now we're getting discussion of this at kind of larger level of like, is this okay? Is this not okay? go on to go on to like the Dallas Cowboys Reddit and have a read of some of the questions and the way they're answering questions about are you happy to have this man on your team it's absolutely horrifying they're like oh sure it's only alleged those pictures look photoshopped all this kind of stuff these are people who two weeks ago were saying oh I'm not sure if I'm happy about this I'm not sure if it's okay but he comes out and has a good game and all of a sudden they're all apologists so yeah I think this guy is horrible and I think as much as the culture is changing we need to see it change a little bit more drastically. Okay, on to our next and final section about the news. I was saying news. This is more of a general chaff because it was made most evident by something that happened this week. But it is a more general look at so far in the season because the Lions, are they more depressing than the city that they come from? That is the question. What is going on with these? This is a team who made the playoffs last year and did very well in the playoffs, nearly made it all the way to the championship game, had certain things gone slightly differently. This is also a team that is failing horrendously this season with relatively minor changes to the roster. There's one or two big spots that it's changed, but for the most part, their skill position players and stuff are there and they've upgraded certain other ones. But this is a team that also, in the in the game this weekend, benched their starting quarterback because of how badly the game was going for them. They were beaten 42-17 to in the end. Harry, I'm going to turn to you first on this one. What's up with the Lions?
2: For me, looking at it, it's that the Lions' offense has less ideas than Detroit's pension fund has in the (laughs) money. Nice. (laughs) Like whatever is going on there, there's a problem that comes down to two things. There's personnel problems, which I think is more affecting the defense. We'll come. I'll come to that in a second. Yeah. But offensively, there is a total inability to identify what they actually want to do in the style of game they want and where their talent lies. Because you know, it's like Megatron is still very good, but he's you know he's no longer able to you know beat triple coverage and high point the ball fifty yards down the thing. Stafford just appears to have progressed His decision making, which has always been questionable, has been really, really, really bad. Beyond their Megatron and to a lesser extent Golden Tate, there's nobody on that offense who seems to be fitting in, who seems to be gelling, and seems to be making plays. Like we saw Amir Abdullah, um, who has shown some flashes, uh, fumble twice and get benched for I, I don't even know who. Uh, I think they were running with the- Zach, Zenner. Zach Zenner, yeah, and Theo Riddick earlier in the game as pass catching back. There's, so there's no there's no direction of where this team wants to go and how the, the style of football they want to play. Mm. And they've just sort of fallen back into the worst aspect of the Lions. Matt Stafford randomly humping the ball in all sorts of directions because he just doesn't know what to do. Because he's always done that, but it's sort of that's been an a bad aspect of his game. The have always been very good things to it. That isn't happening anymore. And whether that's a slight decline in the quality of the receivers perhaps, but also I think it's just him making worse decisions on a consistent basis. Then on the defence, the losses they've had uh, on the defensive line have just not been dealt with. And while their defensive backfield is fine, they've got some good talent there, it doesn't matter. If you
0: can't get pressure on the quarterback, it doesn't
2: matter because yeah. the, the receivers can just run around. So from, there, long from long, last year's
0: front long. seven, they're missing Sue Fairley and I believe uh, Levy's out with an injury now, is it? Yeah. So like, so like that's that's three of their front seven missing. I'm going to come to you now in a second, Roland. Just uh, like This game is going so badly that they bench their starting quarterback. For Dan Orlovsky. <laughs> yeah, for Dan Orlovsky. They bench their starting running back for Zach Zenner, a man who will literally be the bottom of the roster just by alphabetization. And then they manage, in the space of less than 20 minutes of a game, to have four turnovers. Something is going incredibly wrong here. Like, what What are we missing, Fitz? What is it? Diagnose the disease.
1: From like the game, like that individual game, it's Matt Stafford. Like Matt Stafford uh, and Dan Orlovsky, but like that, you can't blame Dan Orlovsky. He's Dan Orlovsky. <laughs> yeah, like he had, he had one good season, and then they paid him. They paid him like a superstar. This wasn't. This isn't unique to this year. Last year, that offense was stuttering. Last year, that offense was pretty below average, and now it's gone even further down that way. So you're kind of looking at a bad thing. But like the long term problem is. Their cap management is the mismanagement that we've seen on that team. Take a look at the cap hits that they have. The top three cap hits are for are for Calvin Johnson, Megatron, twenty point five million, Stafford, seventeen point seven million. And then their third biggest yep. cap hit is Sue, <laughs> nine point seven million, because they took some like because they kept turning his wages into signing bonuses, and they keep doing this to their players. And then what happens is that down the road, if these players don't live up, or they end up cutting them, these bo- signing bonuses are rolling over and making these massive hits. Like they got a couple of good seasons there in the last uh, three four years, interspersed with a couple of terrible seasons. But now, like the it's come home the roof that. They just haven't managed themselves from a personnel perspective. And now there's just no room to actually do anything. If you don't have the money, you can't get the talent. Your occasional like fling like an Abdullah, if it doesn't pay off, you end up having a really crap season like we're having now. And you end up having to ditch your two best defensive linemen.
0: Like I suppose this is this is this is something I was wondering in my head uh, about this team. Is it that surprising? Like, is this a situation where this team is particularly poor this year, and it's a very big surprise, or is it that this is a team that very much overperformed last season and gave us probably unreal, unrealistic expectations coming into in, into the season? Now I get that they they've lost some pieces and whatnot, but most of the core of that team is still there. Yet the difference is 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 very evident. Is this something that? We should have seen coming last year.
1: Yeah, but the D line is what carried them last season, and the D line was the bit, was the part of their team that got gutted in the summer, and they got mad. They got mad at it. But he isn't like he obviously hasn't lived up to like can't really make up for everything, and hasn't really lived up to the expectations. So if you rely on a certain part of your team, and then that's the part that loses all of its talent, then unless the other bits
2: like step up, you're going to end up having a pretty large fall. Yeah, well, I think there's a, there's an aspect of that, but, uh, and certainly the, the D-line, the D-line certainly, certainly hurt them, uh, given that it was a very important part of their success, and now it's, it's great because, uh, D- you know, Detroit's D-line is doing badly, and Sue is doing badly, so everybody's lost as a result <laughs> of it, except Sue's getting paid for, nose by two teams, as you rightly pointed out. And I love the way they going wage bill, like, he doesn't even go here! He's <laughs> their third highest paid player, which is ludicrous. I think that's, I think, I think it's a little bit more than that, I mean, I think when you look at it, it's a team with no, like, the offense has been reasonably effective, if, if inconsistent in recent years. I think we're seeing less of the sort of high end of that inconsistency now, more of it sort of trending towards the lower end of what it can do. And I think this aspect of, yeah, certainly not getting in players to replace people who are declining or to compliment or something, take the heat off Megatron a bit things you can't account for are affecting, like losing Joyke Bell and then just not having a guy who can just pound the football when you need to mm. calm your offense down and when you need to take control of the game. Like, for example, in week one against San Diego when they absolutely pissed it away. Um, you know, you, you, you do need aspects of that. So I think there's certainly an element of them over perhaps doing better last year because they have better pieces and declining players. But I think there are some things you can't control for and then I think that's where the cap stuff comes in because there is no plan B. They can't yeah. get another guy in and they can't. There's no long term plan. Yeah. Exactly. There's no long term plan. Fair enough.
0: So I suppose in closing, Detroit, horrible. Yeah, don't invest in Detroit unless you're investing in brown paper bags to sell outside the stadium. Uh, those sell like hotcakes. they class. Uh, in fact, maybe maybe those few dollars that are left in the retirement fund should go to that. Okay, so we're going to move on to some of the games from week five. So we're going to start off with uh, two two games that we thought were uh, were quite interesting, quite good. Interestingly enough, uh, they were both overtime games as well. The first one we're going to look at is Cleveland Browns at the Baltimore Ravens. 33-30, Cleveland take the win. Unfortunately, our resident Browns fan is not here to celebrate with us. Got on holiday down to, uh, to another sad and depressing place, Waterford. Overall, I thought it was a very entertaining game to watch. Yeah, what what one of the very many overtime games this week. And also had one of the one of the best catches so far this season by uh, Barnage, the tight end, who managed to catch it with his feet and then with his <laughs> knees and then with his body. Also a phenomenal performance from McCown, four hundred and fifty seven yards on the day, starting to look more and more like uh, maybe the right call was made for not putting Johnny football. I disagree with that. I still think Johnny Football would be a better choice. But I can see now that they're getting consistency in production even if it is against this god-awful Baltimore Ravens team. So, guys, what did we think of this game? Uh, was it was it the strength of Cleveland? Was it the weakness of Baltimore? Or was it a cripple fight?
2: I'm going to go option C. Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Actually, to be fair, to be fair, like I think you've, really got, you've, got, you've got to credit both offenses uh, in this one and sort of look at their defense. You're like mm-hmm. I mean, We've been quite harsh on Josh McCown on this podcast in, in the past. Uh, I still think a lot of that rings true, although I think very really excessively so. And I think he's showing that he can do a little more than we gave him credit for. That said, this Baltimore secondary is non existent. They did not make it difficult for him in any way. And when you've got guys like like Hawkins and Taylor Gabriel just being able to run underneath roots and just get away from people, they made it Baltimore made made this very difficult for themselves. Uh, at the same time, Cleveland's defense, which was supposedly the strength of the team, once again we saw struggling, we saw Forsett have a great game. Kamar Aiken, again, who is mm-hmm. Anobi have a second great week against the secondary that just seemed to not even Ah, uh, we don't know if that guy is, uh, really, he's oh touchdown, fuck. Like, there was just a complete it was one of those games that was just very yeah, like you say, very fun to watch. Uh coming out of it, you look at it and you're like, I don't know what I would take from that, other than like our quarterback is good enough to shred a bad secondary. But I think what we did see was two teams like really, I know this is a sort of cliche, you know what I'm saying, but it seems like really, really fighting for it. Like, I think the individual performances, and I think particularly on Cleveland's side, we saw a lot of, like, guys who can do stuff within their limited capacities. When you've got, again, guys like what like Gabriel, who, you know, don't have the best all-round skill set. Like, right, actually, here, you can do this thing, and it's working against this team. We're going to throw the ball to you a bunch of times. Uh, and then, of course, the emergence of Gary Barnage is apparently a quite good receiving tight end, which I don't think anyone saw coming this year. Hey, hey,
0: I picked him up on the waiver wire last week because <laughs> I was completely stuck for a tight end. Did uh-huh. you play him? I did. Yeah, I did well indeed. Because good. literally cool. there was no other option. <laughs> cool. But yeah, I, like, I think so I think the positives there is that both teams
2: showed that their offences can make a real go of it. Uh, particularly for Cleveland, who showed a lot of, like, against more name players able to do it. Baltimore, some guys sort of stepping up, but I think we'll struggle against better coverage. The worrying thing from that game is, as fun as it made it to watch, both teams' secondaries, and to a lesser extent, particularly, particularly, well, particularly Baltimore's secondary, particularly Cleveland's front seven, aren't as good as they should be. Yeah. And against a team where they... So this game went to overtime, and it was high scoring. But the other teams, other than Baltimore and Cleveland, would not let Baltimore and Cleveland do that to them.
1: Yeah, no, it was a very entertaining game. Cleveland had massive problems on offense in the sense that like, which Baltimore just aren't able to stop. But, like, honestly, that this Cleveland offense was being made to look a lot better than it actually is. Like, the Baltimore team is kind of sad and, like, not quite maybe as bad as the Lions right now. But they have the same issue where they have a very top-heavy roster and they've lost a few key pieces like Suggs. And, like, the whole team is now starting to fall apart. Like, mm. they've put so much money into people like Flacco.
0: Cal- Cal- yeah, Quick, quick competition there, Roland. Name two wide receivers for the Ravens.
1: Um, who, who aren't danger to me. Yes, yeah. who are playing? Um, Aiken and... Uh, I know them. It's, no, it's okay, you know.
0: could just make the second uh, one up. Neither of us know. They're playing no one on offense. They're missing all these pieces. It's yeah. somehow they managed to score 30 points.
1: Like, yeah, I know, but that's like against... Like, like, that was due to the run game. Like the Cleveland front seven did nothing against Porcel. You like in the past, the Ravens could do that. The Ravens were were a rough and tumble team Tough who could defense. grind you out with like relatively small production from the wide receivers. Like they were running like like Anquan Bolden as like their number one, or even like Steve Smith, who is. You know, he's put up some really good numbers, like in like in streaks over the last two years. But ultimately, really shouldn't be playing as a WR one these days. But like that was Baltimore's identity, and they have nearly got away with it here. But even now, they probably don't have the talent level to do that. The one thing is, like, I think that this is like, the Baltimore they've had these key injuries on the offense, on the defense. That this one year, like they had the chink in the armor, which means that they might actually fall down. The one interesting tidbit I would actually get is that the actually. The second highest cap hit for Baltimore is actually Ray Rice. I just found that it was hilarious. Oh yeah, because
0: yeah, they didn't get because he's not on an exempt list or oh, anything. Of
1: course, yeah, yeah. nine point five million cap hit this year, so they could probably have used a bit, a bit of that money to like have a bit more debt. Well, like, like they still have they have some young pieces, but like, but they haven't had the same kind of like leaders on the offense or defense coming through that they would have had in the past. But that's so it's not a, so you're looking at a team which like will be back up to like contention next season, but this season probably is a write off just due to, to a series of bad luck. Like the NFL, to a like like to a large extent, can come down to that kind of luck unless you're like, oh, of course, of course, Lord, Bill, Billy, check, and you can put anyone in there and he will suddenly become great.
2: I think that's pretty fair. I just want to add one thing. I can name a second healthy Baltimore wide receiver, Marlon Brown. He's terrible, but I know his name. <laughs> um, yeah, no.
1: Oh, he was real waiver wire, like trash last year. <laughs> yeah,
2: he, he got passed around about uh, about ten teams in the league there. Marlon Brown, though, if you've got him, you can never be a contender. Yeah, well, falling behind Kamara Aiken and Michael Campanaro probably isn't the sign that you're gonna.
0: Yeah. Put. So that 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 that'll do for that game, I suppose. Uh, exciting to watch, but. Such actually uh, two two deeply flawed teams who just matched up well, given where their flaws were. Second game we're going to go to, and I suppose it's quite useful that we've got Ronan here uh, on on the podcast for this. Uh, Seattle at Cincinnati, 24-27 in overtime. We're going to talk a bit about Cincinnati in the in the question section. But uh, just just for context, so uh, this was another game where Seattle led in the fourth. I've got a fun stat for you, Ronan, so I'm going to come to you to explain this performance. In the last five seasons in the NFL, there have been 428 games where a team was down by 17 points or more in the fourth quarter. The current stats for that are 1 and 427 being the team that's down by 17 points. The one that won was this Cincinnati team against Seattle. What happened?
1: Basically, like, it was just a complete collapse on defense and offense, like, like, as you mentioned, like, in the last six games, including the Super Bowl, the Seahawks have gone in to the fourth quarter with some kind of lead, and they've won two out of four. Like, they've won, they've gone two and four over that stretch of games. That's an incredibly worrying trend to be seeing right now. And
0: let's be honest, if it like, wasn't for a dodgy call, that would actually be one and three.
1: Uh, no, yeah, one and, one and uh High, wouldn't it uh, but yeah it's a dodgy call it's a very arcane rule. it also continues to see Hawks like, uh, ju- like dubious honour of any time that they're down- like any, t- any score any time the opponent scores more than like 25 or 26 like their record is completely terrible so they've always like the Seahawks over the last three years since they've become a Super Bowl uh, quality team has always relied on that defence and now the defence is falling at the most critical moment and like I think to a certain extent, teams seem to have figured them out in the sense that I think like teams recognize that the place where the Seahawks are weak because they play cover three mostly is uh, just over just, like just like in the drop off in the tight end position, drop offs to the, to the running backs like they they are weak in that place. But it is unusual that that's coming out so strongly in the fourth quarter, like that we're actually seeing like the like this happen in such a dramatic fashion. That it's hard to know exactly what they're doing wrong in the fourth quarter versus the other quarter. Maybe it's conservative play calling. Maybe it's just bad luck. But it's something which if it mm-hmm. continues uh, against, like against the Panthers it's something we're gonna have to look at but there is a, a question of whether like the offense like the offense has moved away from the kind of smash Mo uh, football what Seahawks is known for with the addition of Jimmy Graham because he can't block for for crap and in actuality like Jimmy Graham is continuing to see the number of snaps decrease so there is the question there that like kind of had like happened last year with Percy Harvin. are we going to see the Seahawks? Revert to smash mouth, run first football to try to grind out these fourth quarter, like keep these fourth quarter leads as a reaction to the the attempt to become a little bit more pass happy to kind of justify Russell Wilson.
0: Because yeah, I was, was going to mention the trade that happens. Obviously, Jimmy Graham hasn't actually seen a great amount of production; hasn't been on the field all that much, and has been blocking for the majority of the snaps that he's been down there. And God knows he can't block to save his life. The O line looks terrible. Now, I know I know that Harry's going to say that it looked a bit better this game. And it probably did, right? Just think about this for a second. The O-line is so bad that at the moment you're on pace for 70 sacks this season. As you say, if you're lacking the smash mouthness, you're going to see Russell Wilson take off a little bit more. He's going to get hit a bit more. And with a slightly more porous O-line, that might happen in the backfield a bit more. But Harry, from, a, from an outsider's perspective... Why do you think the Seattle Seahawks are a dumpster fire?
2: Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're a dumpster fire. I think they're just a team that's significantly underperforming from what we Smoldering
0: expect. smouldering in the trash can. Yeah, yeah,
2: they're, they're like a small Circling. like a, like a wheelie bin maybe um, <laughs> handle in a of waste problems. place for basketball. Yeah, there's a couple of problems there, and there's a couple of. Pos- I'll, I'll start with the positives because I think there's one or two. I think the O line did play a little better this week. I think they're gelling a little bit better. I think there's are still significant problems, but you know that we might see the sack pace kind of slack off I think Rolls I actually uh, like. I think Rolls has looked quite good yeah obviously he's not Marshall Lynch but you know if you can turn to your secondary running back and he's not he's never even Marshall Lynch but he can rattle off a couple hundred yard games (laughs) that. <laughs> no, unless you're Buffalo seven years ago, okay, fair enough. Uh, he's not the modern Marshall. I, <laughs> I think I know. I think there's something you said there. I think that's been good. Um, I think see, the problems Seattle are having has been have been problems they've always had before. I dodgy O-line play been made a lot worse. The loss of Max Unger and now with Jimmy Graham as like a total luxury purchase who they can't afford to play because he's not he doesn't fit their scheme. He's not going to be blocking all this. Mm-hmm. Well, he is blocked. Well, he, you know what I mean. He's into block and he can't do it. Also, again, like it was a against to tight ends. Again, we saw Tyler Eifert have a fantastic game against Geo Bernard. Within within Seattle, like the, the problem there is, there is what you're seeing is the O line breaking down and Wilson making bad decisions about when to tuck and run. One of the things he was so good at was doing that, and now we're seeing him make poor decisions to pull in the ball too quickly and run where there isn't necessarily a lane. I think there's two reasons for that. One of them is the O line. I think the other is that finally, and this is a problem we've seen before. With them Seattle's lack of like dominant receivers really coming home to roost because Seattle's receivers have been, for the last while, even where, like, when Golden Tate was their best receiver, are still, it, relatively speaking... Is it Kirsten Baldwin? It's Baldwin and yeah, Baldwin? Yeah, Baldwin and now are the other two. I think Baldwin's the one and Kirsten's the two. These aren't guys who you can rely on to dominate cornerbacks. There's no, like, clear W.R. one guy. And while you can get away with that when, you, you know, when you're when you're the Patriots and you've got a Tom Brady under centre, mm. and then you've got a bunch of guys who are very good at doing specific things. When you've got guys who are just kind of okay at most stuff, you can still see some great plays, like when Wilson identified on that broken play to curse in the touchdown last week, yeah. but they can't, you can't consistently rely on them to get open. And quite often you'll see Russell Wilson look around and be like, right, nobody's open, going to tuck it and run it, and be like, there's no space for you to run. And that's part of why he's getting sacked so much, and that's part of why we're seeing them sort of fail on third down when they wouldn't have done done so beforehand.
0: Yeah, like what I said was we, we obviously we're gonna talk about Cincinnati in the in the mailbag session in a little bit. Um so we're probably not gonna to focus too much on them. What I will say is one, obviously they had a fantastic job in the fourth quarter in it overtime to, to pull that game back together. It's pretty much the exact opposite of what you'd expect Andy Dalton to do. Uh, uh, of any given Sunday, things that I thought were impressive in this game and quite surprising. Uh, it was positive to see what we consider Cincinnati to be one of the one of the top end teams in the AFC, getting held to only seven points for three quarters in this game. Like that was a good job by Seattle to to do that. I would love to, I'd love to be in the in the coaches room and see the tape whenever they figure out. What it was that they changed schematically on defense, or what it was that Cincinnati changed schematically on offense, that allowed something that shut them down so hard for three quarters to just change immediately in the fourth quarter. But overall, we think it was a decent performance from both teams. Very strong up until the fourth quarter, uh, and, and and Seattle uh, just just couldn't finish it. Mean, last thought on this one to Harry yeah. before we move to the bad. I throw one final thing in there. I'm just I'm say it here. I want to credit Patman
2: Jones in this game, uh, both as a returner and as a defensive back. I think he really picked it up, particularly in the
0: second half. Fantastic game for him. All right, we're going to move on to our dumpster fireside chats, as we like to call the terrible, terrible games. Okay. So now first of our dumpster fireside chats today is, uh, Buffalo, Tennessee, a 14 to 13 barn burner. <laughs> yeah. Just overall, like the first line of my notes here, just, uh, looks disgusting. What? <laughs> so Tennessee were apparently up by 10 points at one, at one point in this game and then presumably just got like super conservative or something I'm, I'm very confused as to one how they lost this game by how poorly Buffalo were playing but also how poorly Tennessee were playing and still up by 10 points what do you reckon Roland
1: well like they also gave up the lead against the Colts who aren't exactly playing lights that at the moment either so I think there's probably some maybe some kind of Seahawk type uh, defensive lapses here, but like to to be fair, like this is a great win for for Buffalo, considering that they're missing their top two wide receivers, they're missing their top two running backs, and Tyrod Taylor or T. Rod, as I like to call him, because he's definitely the A. Rod of Buffalo,
0: oh, <laughs> which is <gosh>. equally sad. <laughs> <laughs> the A. Rod of Buffalo. I'm gonna make
1: it a thing. T. Rod will be a thing. But anyway. Like he showed some great improvisational play, and like ultimately at the end of the day, like that's that's like they're not usually relying on him to win the game, but if he can do something to get him in the game, with the diff like the defense obviously showed up for this, like the defense shows up every week for Buffalo, yeah. So as long as their offense does the minimal amount of effort, they ch- like they should have a decent chance. They they probably are a good candidate to go from seven to nine to like maybe uh, ten to six, but like it's pretty good. Like you know, it was. It, it's good for Buffalo to get these like tight games because this is exactly what they'll need if they want to compete yeah. for an ASC one. No, of
0: course, Spartans. of course.
2: Yeah, like a, a win is a win. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll certainly say that. And there were perhaps some positives. Of Buffalo, like the defense, gave up less penalties than it has recently. They're a little <laughs> more disciplined, but offensively. You know, even with all those players missing, it, it was still pretty, pretty inept. They they toughed it out by being less bad than Tennessee, and Tennessee don't have that excuse. I mean, sort Kendall Wright was talking after the game, just being like, I don't feel comfortable, I don't know what's going on in this offense. And yeah. so that's something you've got to wonder about. I know it's changed, I know they've got a rookie quarterback. When they started off relatively strong in the season, for me the most notable thing about this game was, I think was the first pass you've seen caught by a quarterback uh, this this season. And also, so uh, Chris Hogan, the wide receiver, passed it to Tyron Taylor. And then on the next play, uh, Taylor passes to Hogan for what I think was the game-winning touchdown. So mm. that's a nice little little fact out of this. But genuinely, it was two offenses flailing away. Yes, Buffalo's defense is good, and their offense has got problems. That doesn't excuse the level we saw in this game. And this is probably, for me, this was the, the most unwatchable game of the year. <laughs> that ju- Again, it was just uh, top to bottom, just two teams that could not move the football.
0: Yeah, we'll say just, 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 just to put a little bow on it, just so you get an idea of just how bad this game was. The Bills didn't get over the fifty-yard line until the third quarter. Yet, even with that, Tennessee were only up by three. That says it all about how much of a cripple fight this game was. And I think we've already spent more than enough time on it. Uh, So we're going to move on to the next one. Also,
1: talk about Dan Heron. Dan
0: Heron. (laughs) Boom! Boom! Baby! Boom! boom. boom. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to move on to the next terrible game. Um, this one was at least slightly more high scoring. Washington-Atlanta. This was a 19-25 to 25 game that also finished in overtime. A lot of overtime games this week, actually. Very interesting to see. My take on this, basically, is the Falcons, who I think up until this point have looked pretty decent, but we had a chat about this last week. Thanks to you, Fitz, and your stupid question... Clearly, if you have to take it to overtime to beat the Washington Redskins, you are not a Super Bowl contender, right? But bizarrely, the Falcons shouldn't have won this game. They shouldn't have even gotten overtime in this game. They were awful. They were shut down by Washington. What the hell happened? Like, honestly, is, is this a scenario of Atlanta crumbling or is it, again, a scenario of us thinking maybe Washington are a better team than we thought they were? I
2: agree with the initial sentiment. Atlanta were very lucky. Obviously, the, the, the fumble recovered for a touchdown by Julio Jones was, in the fourth quarter, was extremely fortunate. It was a weird one, uh, from Atlanta's perspective. Uh, Matt Ryan, that is the, the worst game he's had this season. He looked off, and like, against a fairly weak Washington secondary, threw a bunch of picks, struggled to get guys open. Uh, even when like Julio Jones was playing hurt, what I thought was really strange was obviously they, they, they've gone away from Roddy White in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And when, even with Jones, you know, not 100%, and then when Leonard, Leonard Hankerson came off injured, they still weren't passing the ball to Roddy White. They had um Williams, I think, their fourth string yeah. wide receiver on the field making the plays. So it seemed to be a sort of a lack of like what do you actually want? Like, are, how are you trying to win this game? Are you trying to win this game? Are you making any attempt to adapt away from the game plan you came in with, which is I thought Julio Jones. I thought they underused Devonta Freeman, who ran quite well in the game. But yeah, they really, really
0: underutilised him. I don't know why they didn't put a bit more effort into establishing the running game, particularly with Kevin Coleman back. And there was there was a couple there of moments sure as well where there was short yardage, and you just wondered why? Why are they not using what is quite a good back? Well, that's it. And they were going for it on fourth on fourth down from the tail end of the second quarter. Yeah. <laughs>
2: like, it was desperate stuff. It was genu- genuinely quite desperate, and they're fortunate that Washington was so bad that they were able to get away with the win here. But it was, the Devonta Freeman thing was very strange. So when you have a talent back You're like. You've got a guy, Tevin Coleman, yeah, he's coming back from injury, you can split the load of it if you're worried about overworking Freeman. He got two carries. Um, I just think, you know, Atlanta may have been overconfident, just thought they could just coast through this playing how they wanted to play, didn't take any mm. account for the problems they were having. Defensively, as well, just seemed to struggle a little bit
0: uh, until that until that game ceiling pick-six by Alford. Yeah, of course. And what about yourself, Roden? What did you make of this?
1: The Redskins' defense has moved from being, like, terrible last season. So I don't think it's actually, like, as terrible a thing to be like not look amazing against the Redskins defence as it might be made out to be in previous seasons. I think it is disappointing. There was some places where Devonta Freeman definitely should have been used, but he did get like 150 yards, so they were they were feeding him and I think like that probably explains to a certain extent why Tevin Coleman isn't really getting carries. Like I think it is the case that like we need to remember that this Falcons defense, like this Falcons this Falcons team, like has looked really good and has some top level talent. But when Julio Jones isn't looking good or when Matt Ryan starts to falter a little bit, they don't really have that much. Like that defense is playing above its level. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Cowboys last year where the defense has moved up a level to being like average, but ultimately isn't a top level defense. Yeah. Like the talent isn't really there to justify that. Though it is starting to put together a pretty nice secondary. The Redskins are probably better than we probably say, but that's probably saying more about our expectations of the Redskins than uh, about their actual talent level. Like the Falcons, Dan Quinn obviously comes from the Seahawks and the Seahawks uh, always made a thing about often playing down to the team that they were playing, like just playing down to the team they were against. And I think ultimately if they play down to a team and still come out with the win, those are exactly the games you need to do, I think. It's kind of similar to the Bills, like a win is a win, and I think as long as they can show, like as long as they can show a lot of like character, I suppose, for lack of a better term, I don't think there's too much to worry with this team. Yeah, I think ultimately it. this is a team that should uh, should continue to look well.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. Be a super
1: bowl contender, maybe I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> Still not on that one. Still holding on to. Hey, hey, Still holding on to. It's an
1: open. I'm just asking questions here. I'm just
0: asking questions. <laughs> oh gosh. So yeah. So Atlanta managed to squeak by yet another crappy team and continue their role to 14-2 and two and then going out in the first or second round of the playoffs. Uh, hooray! Okay, we're going to move on now to, uh, to some listener questions. So we got a couple of questions in this week, but a lot of them seem to be covered off in uh, both the games and the and the news segments that we did. We did get a number of number of messages about Greg Hardy and uh, how much he is just the embodiment of human filth. So hooray, that's always fun. We're gonna go with one question we got in from uh, from Emmett, which we thought was 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 interesting, and we kind of flagged a little bit earlier. Cincinnati, oh my God, guys, how do they do it? How do they do that? Uh that was I think the phrasing we got from Emmett. Uh something along those lines. So this is the question I suppose. How'd they do that, Roland?
1: Well, like this is a team which is made which continues to make the playoff. This isn't a team that we expect to do bad during the regular season. The playoffs are different obviously. But like we have a young team here which is starting to grow up, which has the pieces on offense and defence. Which has young players which are starting to grow into their place, like Dalton is starting to, sh- like, if Dalton starts to grow into, like, the potential that he has, which isn't really that high of a ceiling, but is it that intelligence for the game? And when you obviously you have AJ Green, if he continues to get better. But I think, like, the major difference this year is that they got back two key pieces. They got back. Uh, Tyler Eifert, obviously, who's added an extra dimension across the middle of the field. Yeah. Like When you have that option, besides A.J. Green, to really stretch the field and really be that kind of joker tight end, that uh, kind of Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, well, maybe not Jimmy Graham anymore, <laughs> but uh, obviously that's perfect for Andy Dalton, who really does work best with a safety blanket. Having that like high quality safety blanket mark has made a massive difference. And the other difference is Gino Atkins. Geno Atkins is playing lightside this year. Yeah, and the difference absolutely. this year is that no longer they don't just have the talent on the back end and on the edges. They're not... like Gino Atkins is collapsing the pocket, putting pressure under there and controlling the line like controlling the line of scrimmage, which is making a massive difference for that defense. would make a massive difference for any defense in the same way like the top a defensive tackle too. Like he's a small player who gets into the quarterback, but he he's really made a difference after looking kind of iffy coming off his, in, off his injury last year. Yeah, I think
2: also similar like having uh, Michael Johnson coming here from Tampa Bay uh, has has been uh, kind of coming back to to, to, to uh, Cincinnati has made has made a positive difference on that <laughs> on that D line. Yeah, I think I think there's an, I think it's an umbrella. I think we're seeing Andy Dalton grow up a bit and for the first time be more intelligent in how he plays the game. I don't think it's surprising that they're good because they've always been a pretty good team. I think it's surprising how. Dominant, they've looked at times this season. I think it's surprising that some of the games they've won that before the season, you'd be like, well, they haven't the a hope of doing that. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're always waiting for the Bengals to choke. I mean, the first thing they're on Monday night or Thursday night football, I'm still saying they're going <laughs> to choke. But um, you're always waiting for that. You're always waiting for that. It's all going to fall to pieces. And that's not happening this season. And yeah, perhaps it is just a maturity thing. It is just players becoming more accustomed to then having those little extra bits and pieces. And I think they've also, what they've done this year that's been really good is they don't have a lead back. And I know that sounds weird. So they are not married to Hill and they're not married to Bernard. Yeah. They are going with whoever fits the game better. And they're, they're, sorry, they're two guys who could perfectly capable of being lead backs in that situation. Whoever fits the game better and whoever fits the situation we're in better is the guy we're going to go to. And now that they've worked on a balance between that, because obviously Bernard was dominating the touch two years ago, then Hill came in and mm. Bernard fell to nothing. And they're like, we've got a nice balance here in the run game. So whatever the situation calls for, be it take the pressure if Dalton with running up the middle, be it give him that option out wide in the flats, yeah. we can do that. And that's been brilliant, really well,
0: important. This is the thing is that, like quite often people talk about tandems and people talk about triplets in the NFL. Like, If you just think about the collection of playmakers that this team has, like you've got yourself an AJ Green going out wide. You've got yourself a Tyler Eifert who's emerged as an excellent tight end. You've got yourself two fantastic running backs sitting there. You've got a quarterback who's starting to play like a top end quarterback. Like his stats this season have been incredible. I saw something, uh, something ridiculous the last day about his stats when he's against the rush. Actually, it's just, it's just for that. He has numbers that I'd be happy to have a quarterback have, and that's just the numbers of him when he's being rushed. They've got a line that's holding up well, and like you said, I think the big difference on defense is they've now got at every single level they've got quality blue chip players. Like I said, they were missing places beforehand. They had good corners and good edges, but no kind of middle linebackers. They had good linebackers, and they were missing pieces on the edges. They've now just got the talent collected well, and I suppose it is—it is that thing of if you believe in the in the mantra that they've been espousing and saying, "Look, we're going to build to the graft, we're going to have this guy, we're going to paper over our weaknesses, and we're just going to try and." Trying to figure out how to win with this personnel. They've collected a lot of good personnel. And I think that's coming to fruition now. I also have a theory that possibly Dalton is an inverse vampire. And that uh, the, the, reason, the reason... I initially thought that it would be the opposite. Because he's ginger that he failed in the sun. But actually I think it's that the sun is what gives him power. And also why his nighttime games are when he's weakest. Superman. Yeah. Or
1: maybe it's he's ginger has no soul and like God takes Sunday off. So <laughs> <laughs> but, like the one, like the final thing I would kind of say is that I also think putting Hugh Jackson in there an offensive coordinator has made a difference. Like I think Jake Rudin okay. kind of installed a kind of vanilla West coast type yeah. of offense, but Jake Rudin doesn't really inspire anyone. Like, but well, I think Hugh Jackson is definitely a player's player, and I think that's what Andy Dalton and what that team needed—just someone who would actually kind of lift them and like actually be like on their side, like rather than Jay Gruden, who always came across more like a system guy. You either get my system or you don't. So I think that, like, I think that's been a good decision on their part. And they've actually kind of, I think they've benefited to a like to a to a certain extent from Jay Gruden getting picked up by the Redskins and replacing the Hugh Jackson, who was the running back uh, coach at the time. I think that's been a good pickup for them.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think we seem to kind of all be in agreement here. Like one of one of the key aspects is they've got a lot of really good players, and I think the one thing that we always thought was holding them back was the ginger Howitzer, who has now just started to play lights out. So uh, they're, happy going days. To the, they're going to the championship game.
2: Oh they're, yeah, they're going to the championship game, and then we
0: are going to pace them. All right, that'll be interesting. Exactly <laughs> how it's going to right. I was go down. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Let's see him man to- the almost mm.
1: Tom Brady exercising Andy Dalton. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so uh, we're going to move on now to the uh, to look forward to next week's games and see where we uh, where we agree and where we disagree. So we've got uh, we've actually got a couple of games that we've got a bit of disagreement on, at the, uh, disagreement on at this point. So I'll fly through one or two of the consensus ones and kind of look at some of the more contentious ones afterwards. So We've got uh, Atlanta at New Orleans. We've all taken Atlanta here. Fitz, give me a one sentence explanation as to why this is.
1: The Falcons look good and the Saints don't. They look shit. And they look like a
0: team that's... I said one sentence. Stop your talking. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I know too far. I think there was a comma in there. There was a comma a semicolon. Perfect.
1: We'll try, but...
0: (laughs) But we'll fail. (laughs) Okay, we've got Cincinnati at Buffalo. We've all taken Cincinnati. Considering what we've just said, uh, Harry... Yeah, I
2: think considering what we've just said, that Buffalo's defense is still good, but their offense looked bad and Cincinnati just looked really good mm-hmm. everywhere.
0: Perfect. Denver at Cleveland. We've all taken Denver. I think this is Denver failing a little bit on offense, but have an incredibly good defense. Cleveland can't seem to put it together against good defenses, so it'll be a tight game won by Denver. Uh, Houston at Jacksonville. Now, interestingly enough, we've all taken Jacksonville. Go on the Jags. Uh, tell us now, Ronan, why are we all taking Jacksonville?
1: because Houston is a dumpster fire, because Brian Hoyer exists and apparently control footballs. Like, <laughs> like, at this point, would Houston, like, trade for Matt Schaub? Maybe. <laughs> uh, no, like, it's just, like, Jacksonville seemed to be a team that's come, like, that's on, in the ascendancy in the sense that they seem to be bringing it together.
0: Houston, the only team that looked longingly at Dan Orlovsky when he was in. Uh, Washington at the New York Jets. We've all taken the New York Jets. Harry? Teams seem to find a way to lose against Washington, and the Jets seem to find a way to lose against teams. But
2: I see Kirk Cousins struggling against that defense, and I just don't know how Washington are going to to be able to break down that
0: backfield in particular. No, fair enough, fair enough. We've got Arizona, Pittsburgh. We've all taken Arizona. I think this is very much a case of Arizona, look, lights out one of the top teams in the NFL at the moment. Pittsburgh, while very good, are missing, uh, missing Big Ben. While they looked good last week, they won't be able to go toe to toe. So we've got Carolina at Seattle. Uh, we're going to go down to Fitz now for for the reason why his team will not mess this up in the fourth quarter.
1: Well, the Seahawks like well, it's at home. And the Seahawks are still doing well at home, and I think like ultimately, like the Seahawks aren't playing bad. They are going taking those leads, and I think like against Carolina, which isn't really much an offense, they should be able to hold out in the fourth quarter for once
0: got San Diego at Green Bay. Basically, we've all taken Green Bay here. I think it's uh, pretty obvious why. Aaron Rodgers is incredible. Green Bay look great. San Diego are good, but no one will be able to keep pace whatsoever. And uh, finally, we've got the revenge game, Deflate Gate 2. Don't you dare touch my balls, Tom Brady. New England (laughs) at Indianapolis. Uh, We've all taken New England here. I'll allow our resident Tom Brady apologist to explain why. Brady was just following orders.
2: <laughs> oh no, no,
1: what that? What was that? <laughs>
0: no, the
2: NFL obviously wanted Brady to come back in this game when they suspended him. They must have been furious, obviously, when he wasn't coming back in this game. How glad must they be that <laughs> they're not going to have to market this as some kind of game that matters or might be competitive? Indianapolis look awful. There is not a single part of New England right now. I know I'm a New England fan that does not look like it can beat any other team in the NFL. This is going to be very, very ugly. It doesn't matter if Andrew Luck is back. There's the Indianapolis
0: O-line, D-backs D-line cannot stand up against them even right now. Fair enough. Yeah, I think we're all in, we're, we all kind agree on that. Okay, so that does it for our consensus picks. We have got five ones that were uh, that were split on uh, this week. So I'll start at the top. We have got Chicago going down to Detroit, <laughs> full on cripple fight. Uh, but I've decided to take Detroit. Harry and Ronan have both taken Chicago in this game. Uh, tell me why.
1: Well, they're not zero five. <laughs> They've won their last two games. Jay Cutler is deciding to have like, is I don't want you to draft a replacement for me. Couple of like run, and I think Detroit are bad enough that uh, you know a dumpster fire is a dumpster fire, and I think Jay Cutler should be uh, have enough flame retardant.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I think Cutler is, Cutler is playing reasonably well, particularly considering he doesn't have Alshon Jeffrey at the moment. Matt, between Matt Forte and, and Cutler, Chicago probably have enough of this Detroit. like I, This is my problem now, really looking at it, it's like the only way I'm going to pick Detroit to win a game is if they are playing a team that is either way more inept than them or the Rams. Who knows with the Rams? <laughs> <laughs> what are they going to do? But like genuinely, like, I just don't see the way Stafford is playing, particularly after being benched, which is a big, big to your confidence. Mm. I just don't see him being able to utilize the weapons he has around him, which are certainly better than Chicago's, to actually make this game one Detroit can win. I think it's going to be close, but I think Chicago are going to be a little more up for this one and just have everything figured out a little better mm. in their system.
1: Fair enough. My, my, safety.
0: <laughs> Well, yeah, basically, my, my, my idea behind this is look, Detroit are, yeah, crap, but Chicago are also crap. I, I've, I've no problem. we lost to them last week. They're still so shite. Like. They've got the weapons that match up incredibly well against what I think is quite a poor Bears defense, especially in the secondary. I think they're going to get their shit together this week because I think the benching, while yes, is a bit of a shot to the confidence, it's also a kick in the arse. And I think they're going to have to up their game a little bit for that. I think they're terrified of the prospect of being. Not just the first team to go 0-16, but the second team as (laughs) well... (laughs) So they're not gonna want that to happen. And they're also gonna be at home and they're gonna to wanna to be riled up because they have to travel over to London after that as well. So we have to like we have to look at this as a scenario where I think Chicago are an incredibly weak team. I think this is one of the few spots Detroit have to win a game, and I think they'll be really up for it after the after the benchings and after the absolute clusterfuck that was last. they week. won't go out in sixteen, you know why they won't go on sixteen? Because they have to play New Orleans. Yeah. That's fair <laughs> enough, that's fair enough. The next game we're going to look at is New York-Philadelphia. So uh, I've taken Philadelphia and Harry's taken Philadelphia, but Ronan has decided he believes in Odell Beckham Jr. and Eli, the manning of the slightly lesser forehead. Why do you think that that's a good call, Ronan?
1: Well, it's primarily, like, well, I think the Eagles still haven't sorted that. They've showed some, like, specter that they might get the run game going and save Sam Bradford from, like, hell. But like the main reason is that they're on. But the the Giants are on a good run of form, and the Giants are like perpetually a streaky team. If they're on a streak, then I'm willing to take the Giants, no matter how bad you might look at them. No matter how much you make fun of Eli, when Eli's hot, Eli tends to win. As Harry would more than know.
0: Please stop saying Eli hot streaking all that stuff. It's just making me a little (laughs) bit sick in my mouth.
1: I, I,
2: look, I don't disagree with you. Thanks for bringing up the Super Bowls. That was really appreciated. Uh, I'll just remind you of last year's Super Bowl, and we'll move on from there. For me, the issue with New York is, yes, they've been playing well, and that's in scare quotes because barely beating the San Francisco 49ers is not playing well. <laughs> and I think what we saw from Philly, yes, they were horrific in the first half. Yes, they made Rob Ryan's defense look good for a bit. In the second half of that game against New Orleans, independent of how bad New Orleans are, I think we started to see them figure themselves out a little bit. And not only um, on the offense, where we saw you know, them get, yes, we can get the run game going, okay, we can get some guys open, share enough against the We also saw them actually put Drew Brees under quite a lot of pressure. The Giants don't have a very good O-line, um, and the Giants don't have a lot of kind of dump-off options. So I, if, they can play, if their defense can play the way it did in the second half against New Orleans, where they're forcing those kind of mistakes, Eli Manning is the kind of quarterback who makes those kind of mistakes. And when Eli Manning gets put under an awful lot of pressure, Super Bowls accepted, you might as well have Cooper Manning under centre sometimes. It's it's going to be close, but I think that Philly have shown enough in the last half of that game being like, okay, we can actually work out and do the things that we're meant to be good at and do the things that we are good at that are going to pressurise Manning into making mistakes and win on that basis.
0: Yeah, I think Philadelphia get their offense firing, they get the run game going with Ryan, uh, Ryan basically taking the, the, the brunt of the carries there. They're at home, it's going to do enough, that's an angry ass crowd to be going up to and like, they're just so close by. There's a lot of animosity between but these I teams. Definitely
1: see that, like, we always, I can see that going both ways, depending how it starts. Like, the they a good tournament. half, but like, to me, I'm still, not convinced. I'm still not convinced about the Eagles. Like, I just think they're overrated. But as I think as Harry said, like it, it's going to be really close. It'll probably be a close game,
0: you, uh, you, in the
1: sense of I can't really predict it. It could end up being like, a, a wipeout either way, mm-hmm. though.
0: The fear of the crowd thing is going to come down to, like, you may know fear of batteries, but I was born in it. I was raised in it.
1: <laughs> it is part of me.
0: Uh, so I think they'll be more motivated. Baltimore, it's San Francisco. Uh, I'm taking Baltimore. Harry's taking Baltimore. Ronan is taking the 49ers. I think I'll let Harry start on this one. Why do you think Baltimore? Because San Francisco. Like, that's, legitimately, legitimately, like, that's good it. Good that's good it. i got else. It's San Fran. I'm, I'm with you on this. <laughs> Ronan? How is this uh, not like, the like, 49ers? The San
1: Francisco defense has actually been okay. So, and, like The San really? like, defense hasn't been up to much, so we might see some actual... like, like It's going to be like a dumpster fire. It's very difficult to know exactly how it's going to go, but like the San Francisco defense did pretty well and managed to hold Aaron Rodgers in pretty well check, so it kind of could go either way, but because the 49ers at home, I kind of just gave them the coin flip, even though in the previous one we just talked about, I gave it to the away team.
0: Well, it's because the, the coin only has two sides. <laughs> Uh, Harry? Sorry, no, I, aside from
2: because of San Francisco, which I- I- is a reason, Baltimore's defense has looked really, really bad. San Fran's offense has looked really, really bad. Baltimore's defense has looked okay. San Fran's defense has looked okay. The reason I'm, I'm taking Baltimore in this is, and it's actually quite interesting, because quite some you say, oh, you know, they held down Rodgers and They did. They did. San Fran always plays well against Green Bay, and always plays really badly against Baltimore. To, to me, like, to having them over the last year, it's one of the you can't, you know, you, you can't put your finger on any one big thing. But schematically, Baltimore are one of those teams that have had Colin Kaepernick's number. And when Kaepernick is having a down year in particular, I think you're looking at quite a dangerous situation there. And it's not like Baltimore aren't going to know how to deal with Anquan Bolden and Torrey Smith. Yeah, They're going to be intimately acquainted with
0: how to deal with those guys. So I think that gives them the edge there. I I like all the in-depth analysis there. My my rationale is very simple. It's the fucking 49ers. <laughs> like, yeah, good luck to you back in them. Okay, we're going to go to uh Miami at Tennessee. I've taken Miami and you two guys have taken Tennessee. Uh Ronan, explained to me your Tennessee pick.
1: Well, why did I take once Miami? Again, I <laughs> If if I I feel more confident still if Joe Bilbin was still in charge, but oh, yeah. we might see we might see an uptick, but until we see it actually, in ha- like until we see it in action, mm-hmm. I think we just have to assume Miami are as bad as they've looked, and that Tennessee have looked consistently mediocre. Like they look like they could like go seven and nine, eight and eight, uh, with a bit of luck, or, or even not even that much luck. So I think this is the kind of like game that they'll win, like. Maybe we'll see like a dead camp, out, like a kind of uh, rah, rah, this is like new guy. But like, mm. I think it's more than likely we'll see Miami just continue to like fly over uh, horrifically under the pressure.
0: Yeah. All right. My, 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 my basis for this is it's new new coaching staff, uh, which everyone is just happy to see. All the players are much happier to see. They have a very talented roster. Like there is a genuine reason why we went into the season looking at Miami as being potential contenders. And I think a large factor of what was probably holding them back was one, the, the defensive scheme that they were playing and two, the way that they were running their offense, the way that Philbin was was, was interacting with the with, with the players. I get that you're not going to see an immediate turnover in that. You're only going to make sectional adjustments and run sets of plays. You can't change a whole playbook in, in, in a week. But I think one, they've had a week off to prepare for this as well. So that's, that's always a plus. But two, Also, Tennessee are garbage. Like, Tennessee are a terrible football team who managed to to score 13 points against the Buffalo Bills last week, having only scored three points in the first half. They are a crap team, and I think a marginally improved Miami playbook and mindset should be enough to take them out.
2: Miami have, like, statistically the worst defense in the NFL. Like, you can't compare them to the Bills and they absolutely right. I found out who Dan Campbell was. He was the tight end coach. Yeah, he coach. was, yeah. Um, and apparently, the only thing I know about him is that his appendix apparently exploded on the plane over to Tennessee and didn't tell anyone, <laughs> which is not a spot
0: line from ballers that
2: actually happened.
0: There's also, actually, the, the other but, story I heard about him was uh, one a, 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 him. A, a, a kicker or a punter in the league when they were playing at USC Threw a fake punt to him and he caught a touchdown for USC. There you go. So now, uh, now we know three things about him. So his oh, no, 4-4. First... Four, four. He's also the coach. Oh, that was the, that was the third <laughs> thing. Oh, <fair> <laughs> I, th- I, th- I, th- I thought it was his name that he's the All coach. Right. <laughs> yeah. No,
2: but genuinely, I th- I, you know, I don't think, particularly <laughs> with somebody coming from that position, I don't think big changes happen overnight. Mm. And I don't agree with you that Tennessee have looked awful. I think Tennessee have looked, in- like a team with a young quarterback, they've looked inconsistent. At times they've looked brilliant. At times they've looked, times they've looked dire. Miami have looked consistently dire this season. Yes, they've got rid of the defensive coordinator. Yes, they've got rid of the head coach. I don't know if in a week you can put in a scheme that's suddenly going to make Ndamukong Su be like, oh, okay, this is perfect, and stop just trying to solo it. Like, I don't know if you can put in a scheme immediately and put in those adjustments, even those partial things, so it's going to change that We'll much. see, we'll see. So I think, yeah, no, I think we'll see absolutely. But I, I will finish on this. It's not just the defense. For Miami, the offense has also struggled. So it's not like they're trying to fix one area of the team. They're trying to fix pretty much every single area of their play. And I don't think you can do that in a week.
0: Fair enough. Uh, I would say two weeks and I just think Tennessee are <laughs> Uh We're going to go to our final game as well. Once again, I'm going to have to defend it and I'm going to have to get fighty for it. Uh Kansas City, and Minnesota. I've taken. Over. I've taken Kansas City, and you guys have taken Minnesota. Tell me why you're going to beat the powerhouse Kansas. City.
2: Minnesota is a weird one, isn't it? Because uh, they're they a bit inconsistent. You don't really know what's going to up. But look for Kansas City right now. It's it's again. It's a transition week. It's like okay. So our entire game plan is out the fucking window. What do we do from here? What we've seen with Minnesota is a team that's sort of incrementally been finding its, you know, f- finding a way to play to its own strengths, looking better, being able to. Okay, so initially, like, oh, we'll do the shotgun thing all the time for Teddy Bridgewater, and they're like, okay, actually, no, it doesn't matter if Teddy plays crafty and Peterson gets two hundred yards, so we'll just mm. go to play and play to our strengths. I don't know how well Kansas City are going to be able to shut that down, and even if they are, I and I think it's probably going to be quite a low-scoring game. Yeah. I don't think that Camp City without without Jamal Charles is going to be able to make that immediate adjustment, particularly because you are going to look at Alex Smith is going to try. I think and be more aggressive. And Minnesota has good safeties and reasonably mm. good corners. I think that's going to cause problems to them. Whereas I think you are just going to see Minnesota just pound the rock for a win here in a, in quite a low scoring game.
0: Yeah, like to be honest, like uh, this is this is why I kind of took KC in the thing because I don't think. I don't think it's impossible to see it happen. I think it's improbable. I do. I do entirely agree. Like I, like I said, I showed you my estimations for the, for the thing. I'm, sure, I'm not sure if I uh, actually had, had us winning this game in any of my realistic ones. No. But then I started to think about it and I was like, hey, look, right, we've got a good defense. We're very good against the run at the moment. Uh, we've got good corners. We've got, well, we've got two good corners. And that's more than enough to cover the weapons that, that are sat there for, for Minnesota in the passing game. We've got a good, stout enough run defense, and I think, like, yes, we're going to get gashed, but it won't be, it won't be horrendous. Like, I can see this being a low-scoring game. I saw us kick lots of field goals the other week, uh, and I can, like, and I, I, I can legitimately see some combination of kind of West and DeAnthony Thomas and stuff like that finding a little bit of leverage on swing passes and bits like that. Yes, it's not going to be the same thing. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Like, I'm thinking this could end up being something like a 17-12 game or something. Uh, what about yourself? Yeah.
1: Like, I think, like, I wouldn't disagree with either of you. Like, when you're going to have two offences, which probably aren't going to put up too much, then anything can really happen at that point. Uh, like, 17 points is a pretty low, is a pretty small gap uh, yeah. In the fourth quarter, so anything can happen. <laughs> but no, like I think, like I saw, I saw the Minnesota game against uh, Denver before their bye week, and they, they definitely seem to be growing into their into into their game plan. Mostly yeah. Adrian Peterson, and the defense looked pretty good against Peyton Manning, albeit that he isn't really the player he used to be. So on balance, considering the loss of Jamal Charles, you kind of give shade to Minnesota in this case. I've
0: got, I've got, I've I've got one bold prediction for this game, uh, which is. I think Kansas City's defense is going to score more than Kansas City's offense if we win. I think it would be two defensive touchdowns. Okay, I don't think that's a particularly bold prediction. Uh, Shut your mouth, but... We're superstars!
2: Here's another thing, Uh, and it's just a very minor thing. But I think we've seen it a few times this season, I think we've seen it a few times recently, I think we've seen it elsewhere as well. This is going to be a relatively close game. I wonder... How Andy Reid is gonna fuck up a close oh, game yeah. to his bad clock manager. Yeah. You're gonna lose a game you should have won.
0: No, yeah, like that, like that, uh, that, that's my, that's my main concern in this game is just actually the fact that if it's a slowly, slowly played, lots of clock eating, lots of like. Low scoring, like and he really just like I, I honestly think at times he just takes timeouts because he wants to go like have a drink or have a slice of pizza or <laughs> something. Barbecue ribs, like man. That's it, yeah. He just goes, lads, lads, timeout out, time out, take a breather. <laughs> Why, coach? Ah just need to use Jackson. Like it's just it's like it just baffles the mind. Like there, there, there is a slight hope as well. I have the part of his play calls could be. Well, no. Clearly, clearly, I understood how to use Jamal Charles. So now he's gone. I should probably hand this play calling off to someone else. There's a lot of people in Kansas City been saying this. Like we've just been dying for Reid to hand off the play calling to the OC. He becomes stupid. Look, we'll talk about this in the in the one d- dimensional uh, uh offensive scheme stuff next week or the week after. But uh, but it should be. Uh, I I agree with you, Harry, with what you say. There's a lot of ways that <laughs> that the coach can fuck this for us. Uh, which is a pity because he is probably the best coach we've had in like 20 years oh, Romeo gosh. Cornell bro Romeo <laughs> Cornell was Tom a, Haley. Romeo oh, was an excellent defensive coordinator and Tom Haley's a great OC no he's
1: not he's terrible he's actually I know, I know, I know, I know. terrible he was like going to be my Miami example like oh like the players might like play up a bit for him and then they'll hire him and then it'll go terribly next season
0: yeah let's go, all go tits up yeah. like the Dolphins
1: will have like Two good games, and then they'll like hire. Like, they'll take the guy on a permanent contract for like
0: five years. <laughs> Cornel is Cornell's
2: in Houston now, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. As you say, an excellent defensive coordinator because he's got one of the most talented defenses in the league. and If you've seen how their defense has been playing this year,
0: yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, right. no, I do like Cornell, but Mike got something. So something's
0: going wrong down in Houston. Yeah, uh, to be honest, there is also an element in the Houston one of uh, like they've been very adamant that he, while he's a defensive coordinator. Uh, Watt and Cushing and two or three, the other ones are allowed to just call what they want to do on the field and just do it. Have you seen Brian Cushing talk? Yes, I have. You can't. I, well, he only can. <laughs> yeah. sounds me. I mean, like Let's two say, or three terms. He knows, give done. me your lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm definitely a nice dad. Forget about what I'm like on the field.
2: I'm not sure that's the guy
0: you want pulling
2: into place. No, it's okay, not. we're going to go and we're going to give the quarterback a wedgie. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's gonna be so cool! This is definitely gonna get me voted prom king. <laughs> but yeah, so I suppose that, that that's us for this week. Uh, thanks very much, Roland, for coming on. Thanks, Norris.
1: No
0: thanks very much, Harry, for being here again. Woo. And uh, yeah, thanks very much, Andy Reid. You dickhead, ruining <laughs> my fucking seat. Ireland won the rugby, and then that happens. Oh God, I don't need to watch Ireland versus Poland. Oh, fuck this, right? This is the end. Thanks for listening. Fuck my life.